Welcome to the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, that you connect with God maybe in a new way, and it's the beginning of the conversation between you and Him and the beginning of our connection here at the Brick. What's up, 11:30? Let's go. All right. Today, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jared Callahan. I'm your lead pastor at The Brick, and I just want to reiterate what Pastor Ryan said. We are stoked you're here and want to see what God will do in you, in your life, and excited to be a part of that journey. But today, we're kind of picking up. It's really week one of In the Gap. We're kind of picking up where we left off on last week on Easter. And if you missed Easter Sunday, and you, or you didn't remember last week because you've you know, slept since then, if you're like me. Uh, we really talked about the distance between God's promise uh, uh, on the cross. Whenever Jesus in the John's gospel, his last words were, it's finished. But then for three days, it doesn't feel finished, right? Uh, and then there's a spot where that fulfillment happens on Sunday. So we want to talk about some practical applications. What do we do in the gap? What do we do in the, in the moments between it is finished to it actually feels and looks finished? How do we handle that? What's the process we go through? What do we do? Um, and today I want to really narrow down to one specific thing I want to challenge you to. And honestly, is the essential of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's the essential of what we're always called to do. But especially in the gap, we have to remind ourselves of this one simple truth, and that's to be faithful. If we can do nothing else, we don't know what all the steps we're called to take. We don't know the future. We don't know how it's going to play out. It's not looking like the way we wanted it to play out. All of those questions that we're wrestling with, struggling with, when you're in the gap, remind yourself, I'm called to be faithful. That's it. Just one step at a time, one moment at a time, being faithful to do the next right thing. And you might find yourself in a lot of areas that are in gaps, okay? Because you, you, it's not your whole life sometimes it's in a gap. You're not everything. You might be crushing it at your job. And you're like, man, I'm in the perfect career. I love what I'm doing. I love everything about what I'm doing. But my marriage, there's a gap. Like it's supposed to thrive and it's supposed to be what God's called it to be, but it's not. We're struggling, right? And it may be the other thing where it's like, no, marriage is good, but our kids just don't want to listen. We're in that teenage gap where they're talking back, slamming doors, and I'm trying not to hurt them. You know, like, Lord, help me. My faithfulness is just not hitting them, right? At that moment, you guys, okay, I'm just kidding. We're not really talking about abusing your kids. You guys relax a little bit here. And so in that gap, how do, what does it look like to be faithful? And to do that, I want to talk about Joseph's life. If you're not familiar with Joseph, uh, it's found in Genesis chapters 37 through 45. It's a big portion of Genesis. And, and Joseph is an interesting character because uh, Joseph finds himself in a gap. And Joseph is, is particularly interesting because most of the Old Testament characters, the most of the people in the Old Testament, Scripture tells us their flaws over and over again. You see it, like even Abraham, who's the father of the, almost all the world's faith right now, like any monotheistic religion claims Abraham as their father and Abraham's a goofball. Like if you watch, he's like, he'll, like, no, this ain't my wife. This is my wife. He'll lie about it. Let her go hang out with the king because he doesn't want to die. And he doesn't do that just once because, you know, there's plenty of opportunities for Abraham to make the right choice and he doesn't. And over and over again, you see Old Testament people make lots of mistakes, but Joseph does. It seems like the exception. Joseph seems like this guy who remains faithful 
even when he has every excuse, in my opinion, every excuse not to be. So Joseph's story starts out with him being the youngest of multiple brothers. And uh, Joseph's father actually labels him as his favorite. Like he he loved him more than the rest of the brothers. I don't know if you're into parenting, you've read any parenting books, but that's not actually a good idea. Okay, in case you're wondering, like, should I, should I not? Should I let my kids know? Should I buy them a fancy robe so that they know which kid is my favorite, which is what, what Joseph's dad did? Uh, and so it didn't play out well. Big shock, right? We all know, like, that's not going to turn out well for Joseph and his brothers. Uh, and so for Joseph, he is hated by his brothers, okay? He is hated as the favorite. He's hated on. Do we have any, anybody in here that's labeled as the favorite in their family? Okay, a few of you. You know, look at your neighbor. Some of y'all are pointing at people like, that's you, okay? Like, no, it's not me. Uh, so if you're the favorite, you might, you know, you might feel a little animosity. I, at times, have felt animosity for my cousins because I am the favorite of my grandparents. Uh, and they, uh, w- you know, like, there's some animosity, but we still love each other. You know, we're still good. We're still connected. No, 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 not Joseph. Not Joseph's brothers. They literally hate him. Scripture says they hate Joseph. And if you think your situation is bad as the favorite, they actually try to kill Joseph. That's how much they hate him, right? None of my cousins, not my brother or my sister, none of them have tried to kill me for my status as favorite. But that's, that's exactly what Joseph's brothers did right? And, and the reason they do that is maybe the only like gray area for Joseph. Like if, if Joseph has ever been criticized by commentators of the Old Testament, the only criticism might be that Joseph shares his dream too early. Maybe that Joseph shares a dream he shouldn't have shared. I don't know if Joseph knew that he shouldn't share the dream or not. That's up to debate. But Joseph goes to his brothers. This is why they hate him before they're ready to kill him. Goes to his brothers like, I had this dream and all of you bow down to me. Like all of you. It not only makes them a little bit uncomfortable, it actually makes their dad uncomfortable because he's like, you bet down to me too. And the dad's like, oh, that's oh, okay. I mean, I guess you're still my favorite. So I'm not sure if Joseph in that moment knew like he was rubbing it in, like pouring salt in the wound. Like not only am I the favorite, but later on I'm gonna rule over you. I don't know. Or if he just genuinely was like, this is interesting. I wanted to tell you guys and see what you thought. I don't know what Joseph was thinking and telling his dream, but he told it and it puts, pushed his brothers over the edge. They're ready to kill him. Uh, a couple of the brothers stop it. Like they're, they're ready to full on kill him. A couple of the brothers kind of talk him into like, yeah, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Judah. We really appreciate that, brother. Big brother. Hey, he's like stuck in a pit. Like we're thinking about killing him. He's stuck in a pit. And he's like, thanks, buddy. I sure appreciate you not, you know, killing me. Just slavery's fine. That's, that's what I want my brothers to do for me. I love you guys. Love you a lot. Uh, and so he gets sold into slavery. So Joseph in, the, in this spot is been given a promise. He's been given a dream. And then he's in slavery. And so maybe you feel that. Maybe you have a dream that you feel like God's placed on your heart. Maybe you have some things that you know that God wants for you, some very simple biblical things like, I'm supposed to have peace and I don't feel that all the time. I'm supposed to have joy and I don't feel that all the time. There, there may be some things that you recognize. I've been given a promise, a dream, a plan that I know what God wants for me, but I'm stuck in the gap like Joseph where there's a dream and now I'm in slavery. Now I'm in bondage. Now I'm stuck and I feel trapped in the middle, in the gap between God's promise and God's fulfillment. And Joseph is stuck in that. And what Joseph does is what I think gets him to the status he later gets to. And that is that Joseph remains faithful. 
Joseph is faithful even as a slave, right? And I'm not Joseph, okay? So I would not handle it that well. I'd be like, all right, God, I guess you're done with me. I'm just gonna just chill, just figure this thing out however I have to do it because I ain't gonna treat this guy nice. I'm not gonna be nice to my slave owner. That's not what I'm supposed to do. But Joseph stays faithful even to his slave owner and continues to work his way up. Joseph works his way up until he is the head of Potiphar's house. He's the head of Potiphar's house, meaning like, if you're gonna be a slave, right? Nobody wants to be a slave, it's not your dream. Hopefully that's not your dream. Like be top slave. Like I can't wait till I get to be top slave over all the other slaves because then I'm the best slave, not just the lowest slave. But Joseph makes it as high as he can make it in the midst of his bondage, in the midst of his slavery. And at that level, he's over Potiphar's house and you think it's gonna get better for Joseph and you think Joseph's story is gonna turn around because he's doing good. And then all of a sudden Potiphar's wife is interested in him. And you're like, oh, is that a good or a bad thing? Some of you are like, oh, is that, is that cool? Cool, cool. You got somebody that's checking you out. All right. Like, and Joseph's like, I know I look good. My dad thought I was cool. Everybody thinks I'm cool. No, no for Joseph, he's like, I just want to do the right thing. Can you leave me alone? Because I, I'm actually called to, to be faithful to this house. And it wouldn't be right to my God. And it wouldn't be right to Potiphar if we do what you're interested in us doing. Right? This is Joseph to Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife I don't know what's wrong with Potiphar's wife, okay? If we're honest, Potiphar's wife is aggressive, right? I have met very few women that are as aggressive as Potiphar's wife. Like she looks for an opportunity to trap him. And, and Joseph is so faithful in that moment to say no, in a moment where it would be easier to say yes. He stays faithful in that moment, so much so that she goes to grab a hold of him and he runs without his clothes on him. She has the clothes in his hand while he's running naked out of Potiphar's house. That's, that's the kind of boldness and the faithfulness Joseph has inside of him. And you would think, well, praise God for Joseph. He is about to get elevated by the Lord, right? No, no, no. Potiphar's wife lies on Joseph and Joseph ends up in prison. Okay, this is a fun story, Jared. Thanks for in the gap. It sounds so uplifting. Doing the right thing stinks. Now I'm in prison. I just, first I was a slave. I didn't like that. Now you're talking about being in prison. That's not fun. But, but Joseph ends up in prison and you would, maybe, maybe you recognize and feel that. Feel that pain where it's like, I feel like I did the right thing. I feel like I've been doing the right thing. I've been trying and yet it doesn't seem to pay off. It doesn't seem to work. I still feel stuck. I feel like I had a promise from God. Things were going well and now I'm back to stuck. I feel back to that place. And I remember uh, that feeling. I remember the feeling of thinking that I did it right and then getting stuck back in a spot that I didn't think I, I, I got myself in, right? If we're honest, most of the time we're stuck. Most of the time we find ourselves in the gap. It wasn't God, the distance between God's promise and his fulfillment. It's the distance between our stupidity and the consequences of that stupidity, right? Like if we do, do something dumb, we're like, ah, oh, yeah, I know why I'm here. I shouldn't have said that to my boss. That's why I'm here. I could have showed up on time to work. That would have probably been smart. I probably shouldn't have been mean to my spouse. I, I, I probably should have raised my kids better. I know why I'm here because I did stupid stuff. That's why I'm here. But for those of us who've ever been in that position, I really thought, really thought that I was doing the right thing. I remember a moment where uh, years ago I was serving underneath my grandparents and uh, believe it or not, I actually like resisted being a pastor. And I know that's probably what you want to hear from your lead pastors. Like, oh, cool. That's why are we following you again? Like, but I really resisted the role and, and, the, and, and doing it. And I really loved the position I was in in my early 20s supporting my grandparents. And my grandparents don't have, didn't ever have a quit in them. Like they didn't know how to quit. They were in their 80s pastoring a church that they had launched themselves. And they just, they just weren't going to quit. They were going to die doing what they love, which my grandfather did die pastoring a church. And so 
uh, in that moment, I felt like, man, I'm so excited that I feel like I can help them finish their years of ministry strong. And it became evident because of my grandfather's health and different things that were going on that in order to f- help them finish their year strong and help them to continue to be able to preach when they want to and have a healthy church dynamic, I was going to need to take over the church. Didn't really like the idea, didn't really want to, but I wanted with everything in me to see them finish their final years of ministry strong. And so I prayed about it and I felt God tell me like, okay, you need to pastor the church. That's what you're going to do. And I was elated. I was like, okay, I, got, I like turned the corner. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to pastor this church. We prayed about it. And we were like ready, six months, just planning, dreaming, all the ways that we can do it, all the ways we can organize it. My grandparents still get to be a part. They get to lead where they want to, but not have the whole weight on their shoulders. It was just going to be this awesome thing. Six months in, we're filling out papers. We go through this process to take over a church. You typically need to be ordained. And so to be ordained in the denomination we're in, I needed to fill out paperwork, send it to them about my beliefs, my life, what I know, what I don't know, the doctrines, all those things, and then meet with the board. Well, there's a couple things on the paper that uh, I was like, I don't really know what I believe. I mean, I don't, really, I don't think it really matters that much to me. I didn't really feel like I needed to decide what I believed in that moment. So I just kind of left them blank. It's like, I'll talk to them about it. So we had a conversation. One of them, they were like, yeah, you can believe whatever you want. Just don't teach opposing to our denomination. The other one, they were like, no, 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 you need to believe what we believe. And I was like, oh, well, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't really sound accurate to me. I'm not sure that it's right. And so we spent, me and my wife spent a good three or four days just fasting and praying, like studying scripture, studying the topic, studying the doctrine, praying to God, like what, what is true? And at the end of that time, we realized like we actually don't agree. And so then we were at that moment like, is it ethical to lie at your ordination to get to be able to pastor a church? Is God okay with that? How can we justify this action? And we couldn't find justification. We couldn't get over the hurdle of that dishonesty. So we had to tell him like, no, we, we actually disagree with this doctrine. And that was it. All of the six months of dreaming, all of the planning, all of the goals, all of the things that were gonna help me get to fin- let my grandparents finish their years of ministry strong stopped in its tracks. So then we spent more time praying and God was like, no, you're done, done. Like, what are you talking about? I'm done, done. We'll just stay longer. And God was like, no, it's, it's, time, it's time to go. That was the door shutting. You took a shot. You took your chance. Now, now it's time to step away. And I was like, nah, nah, it's not. And we, we heard God. We stepped away. And then we spent eight months in the moment for us that was the gap the dark, the confusion, like three months figuring out where do we even go to church? Is it ethical to go to church in town? I feel like people are going to try to follow us. We don't want to do that. We don't hurt the church we're in. Where do we even plug in at? And then we spent like, what are we supposed to do? I'm, I'm working multiple jobs at that time because I don't know if you know it or not, ministry doesn't typically train you to make a lot of money outside of ministry or even inside of ministry for that matter. And so working multiple jobs, just like doing things and we were doing fine. We were making ends meet. Everything was fine. It was just mo- working multiple jobs and figuring out like, but this is not what I thought I was going to do. And this is not what my dream was. It's not what your dream was. What are we even doing? And there was all of these moments of like, are we supposed to do that? And we, I remember turning down a job offer because it wasn't inside of a church and realizing that that showed me how much I needed to be connected to the church and how much the church mattered to me and what I felt like I was placing my heart. And I was like, well, I guess the church does matter. Well, we do eight months of just sheer confusion of gap. And all we could do is just take one step at a time in faithfulness. Like, I'm confused. We question ourselves. Like, was that really? Did we miss it back there? Was that not? Were we not supposed to step away? And we're like, no, that's the right thing to do. Then why does it feel like this? Like, why? I did the right thing. If you're Joseph, it's like, I did the right thing and now I'm in prison. For us, it was like, we did the right thing. We listened to God and now we're stuck in the gap. And there was one more opportunity 
that I wish it was just like a light bulb. This is it. And we, we applied to be on staff at Life Church. And in that process, uh, I couldn't get like an answer from God. Like I couldn't even feel a piece in my heart of, that I was supposed to work there. So I only got a piece in my heart that I was supposed to apply. And so I applied for the job and then they called and gave us the offer like, hey, we'd love to have you on the team. And my answer to them was, okay, let me pray about it. And obviously they were like, you applied with us. Like, what are you we're talking about? Pray about it. You, you asked us for a job. We told you to have the job and you got to pray about it. So we prayed about it, processed and like, I don't know. Like we legit at that moment, it was like, we got to basically 51% that we were supposed to do it. That was it. We, uh, we were like, are we sure? Is this really what we're supposed to do? And we just knew that one step was to, to take the job. One step of faithfulness was taking that job. It was a simple step. It was, it was cloudy at best. We're like, ah, it kind of seems like the right step. Okay, we're going to do it. And what I can tell you from that moment, that season is that I had a, a deep reservoir of spiritual understanding and depth of faithfulness and what it takes to do ministry and the tenacity and the grit and what scripture says and how to interpret scripture and how to teach scripture. I had that reservoir. But from that point on, I learned what it was like to lead people well. I learned from people who were great leaders and developing other people and helping them see their gifts and letting them shine. And I learned a whole different aspect that I would have never seen before. And I developed, and really who we are now is an output. The Brick Church is an output of that dark moment of figuring out, am I supposed to take the job? I wouldn't be where I'm at, which means we probably wouldn't be where we're at here at the Brick Church without that moment of hazy, dark, cloudy, one step at a time faith to just be faithful with that singular step. And so for you, if you find yourself in the dark, you, you, you don't need to know all the answers. You don't have to have step 10 figured out. The thing that I want to challenge you to figure out today is what is one next faithful step? That's it. One step at a time, one moment at a time that you're called to in the midst of the dark, in the midst of the confusion. I don't know how to fix this. What's the one faithful step? So for Joseph, uh, he's in prison and his next faithful step was to interpret some dreams. I, for me, that's already a little, probably has some baggage with it because Joseph had a dream and his dream's not fulfilled. And then he gets two guys come to him with dreams and he interprets their dream for them. So imagine there's a bit of baggage for him of like, well, my dream, I'm not telling you your dream because my dream hasn't been fulfilled. So it's a whole different, probably a whole nother sermon to talk about the need that no matter how dark it is for you to be able to appreciate when somebody else gets out, to, to be able to appreciate when somebody else succeeds, to be able to be faithful and be okay that even if you don't have it all together, you're okay if somebody else does. To be able to celebrate somebody else that's ahead of you, somebody else that's winning when you're not. There's a whole other set of faithfulness and love and joy and peace that you have to have internally and belief that Joseph has to be able to interpret and help them win while he's not winning. So he's stuck in prison and finally, finally gets out. The guy, one of the guys he shares the dream to uh, comes back and like tells Pharaoh has a dream. He's like, oh, I remember this guy that helped me get out of prison. Like, that's the guy. I can get him a, a dream. And he goes to Pharaoh, interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's faithful to tell the dream, which wouldn't have been easy because it was like, you're going to have seven good years and seven bad years. Pharaoh recognizes something like an anointing, a gifting on Joseph's life. And Pharaoh continually elevates him till, till Joseph is ahead of the whole land. I mean, all of Egypt you imagine in that time frame how big Egypt was. Pharaoh was the dude, like the guy, right hand of Pharaoh is Joseph. That's the dude. 
He's, he's, he has reached the pinnacle after slavery, after prison. Now he's at the peak. And then his brothers need help. His brothers are starving. Their family needs help. They come to him for help. And I'll tell you what my faithful step would be. Ha, ha, ha. Come on with it. Come on. You need some food? Yeah, I got a prison cell and a slavery chain that I want to put you in to remind you what you did to me. I got a pit that's just like my pit so that you can learn your lesson. But that even in that moment, Joseph's faithfulness is not revenge. Joseph's faithfulness is just to make sure that they're not the same people that they were, that they might have learned their lesson. They kind of test them a little bit with their other younger brother that's born afterwards. And then, then Joseph sends them back and has them go get their father and, and gives them this crazy amount of forgiveness. That's a whole nother level of interesting. And he tells them, it's like, it's not on you. Me being in Egypt is not on you. God had a plan. He says it like this in, uh, in Genesis chapter 45, verses seven and eight. It says, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Now there's, there's a whole set of conversations about God's, what God allows, what God causes. Is God limited in what he does? Like, why did it have to happen like that? Did it have to happen like that? Whatever, however it actually plays out. We can sit down and have coffee and talk about the theology of what, how that plays out. Like what God controls, what he allows, and what kind of limits he's placed on himself in this life. Either way, what Joseph sees is that no matter how it plays out, God still has a plan. That God is still working in every scenario, every darkness, every pit, every confusion. God is still at work and I trust that God is still at work. And if anybody can see it, if anybody has the reason to, to, to understand it and express it, it's Joseph because he stayed faithful in the slavery and the bondage. He stayed faithful in the prison cell. He stayed faithful because of what he believed about God, that God was still working. Even when I can't see it, you're working. And, and, and uh, it says it like this in Romans chapter eight, verses, uh, verse 28. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose that we understand, like if, if, if we really believe like Joseph, he understood something that hadn't even been written yet. That no, 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 God's working in all things. He's working something out. He's working in everything that happens, even the bad stuff. He's trying to turn it around for our good. And the, the issue is that for Joseph and for the rest of us is that Satan is constantly trying to chip away at that understanding. From day one, Satan is trying to convince you that God is not as good as he says he is. That God is not as good as those moments that you've seen. I mean, like there are moments where it's clear, right? That the time that your child's born and they're healthy, oh, God is really good. And you can feel it and it feels real. And you know, the sunset that's so beautiful, like, oh my gosh, God is so good. The stars are crystal clear. You see the universe, like God is so good in all that he does. And then there are moments that Satan is trying to come at you, come at you to, to bring that into question. I mean, in the garden, day one, in the garden, Eve is looking at the tree and Satan is like, but why does, why does God not want you to eat that? Like, is it, is it because he's good? I mean, is it because he loves you and he wants what's best for you? Is he trying to keep something from you? 
Is God really as good as he says he is? Or is he afraid that you're going to get too much, know too much, or be too much? So he, he doesn't really want you to have all that you could have. He's really not got your best interest in mind, Eve. You don't want to, you want to eat that because then you'll know things that are going to make you like God because God was trying to hold you back. How many things in our life do we have like that? How many things, especially in our late teens, early 20s, have we been processing like, no, God just don't want me having a good time. He's trying to hold me back. I'm trying, he's not trying to keep me from the club. He's trying to keep me from the bar because he don't want me to have a good time. Because Satan is constantly trying to convince us that the good time is something outside of God's will. When the good time is really found in the heart of God where we find real love, real joy, real peace. Because Satan is constantly trying to remind us, and you, in the midst of the gap, in the midst of the confusion, the darkness, have to decide whether or not God, whether you believe that God is actually good. Even in the times when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it doesn't feel like he's good. The times that you get the diagnosis, the times when the diagnosis didn't play out for your family member the way that you wanted it to. The times whenever the relationship that was supposed to last forever fell apart and you're not together anymore. The times when, when something happened to your child and you don't understand the times whenever you know that scripture called you to have peace and you're sitting at home in the dark in your depression. Those times are the times where it gets difficult. And Satan is like, see, I told you. No, no, I told you. I told you. I told you he's not good. Hey, I told you you could never do it. God ain't got your back. Yeah, you fall back in that addiction again? That's, that's, that's because God ain't got your back. Oh, no, 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 he ain't got nobody for you. You're supposed to be alone the rest of your life. No, 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 there ain't nobody. Nobody can love you. You don't understand. Like, you know that God ain't got that for you. You're supposed to suffer a little bit because God doesn't care. There's all of these moments in our life that Satan is continually trying to remind us. And you can believe either. The moment that kid was born, the sunset, the, the stars in the sky, the beauty of those relationships that love you deeply around you, you get to decide in the midst of the dark, do I really believe that God is as good as he says he is? Or do I believe maybe he's not? Maybe he's kind of good. Satan will even settle for that. He's kind of good, but he does a lot of messed up stuff. I don't know why he allows this, so he's pretty messed up. You get to decide because if, if your decision is he's only kind of good, you don't stay as faithful as Joseph. There's not enough motive. If you don't think God's working some things out and he's working on your behalf and he's sending angels before you and he's working some things out behind the scenes that you can't see, if you don't believe that even in the darkness, God is going to use it to bring the most light, if you can't believe that, there's no reason to stay faithful. There's no reason to look for that next step of what he's called you to do or be because he's not really as good as he says he is. But if you believe that in the gap, God is good, that God is loving, then you know that in every circumstances, he's looking for a way. Every circumstance, he's looking for an opportunity to bring your good. Every circumstance. And see, the thing is, is that God is always, always, always trying to develop you to be the child you're called to be more than he is to try to get you in the good external circumstances. And sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we miss in the confusion and the frustration. We think that the goodness of God is about how much stuff we have, how much money we have, how much, how much we can gather and attain, how good we can look on the outside. But God, like a good father, is always more worried about your character than he is your stuff. It's not that he doesn't want you to have those things. Like, it's not that he doesn't want you to have a good life and be healthy and to succeed in every area that you touch, like Joseph did eventually. It's not that he doesn't want that, but that's always secondary to your character. He's always trying to develop in you who he's called you to be, to be the person that whether you're dreaming the big dream, 
stuck in slavery, stuck in prison, you still choose to be faithful. That's who he's designed us to be no matter where we're at. In the good times and in the bad. See, when Joseph got to the top, he was still faithful because he had learned how, what it was like to be faithful at the bottom. See, some of us are good when we're at the bottom, when we need Jesus. Like when we're like, oh, I ain't got nothing else. I better go find I ain't got nothing else to do. I better find Jesus. Sometimes when the fulfillment happens, we have it all together and we got all the money and everything's fine and we're all healthy and everything's okay. Then it becomes more difficult. Then, then it becomes easier to skip out on the things of God because we don't really need him as much as we used to need him. Oh, I got my healing. I don't need as much prayer as I used to need. I don't need as much scripture time and worship as I used to need. Many times it's when we reach the other side and it's because maybe we didn't develop in the gap the way that he had called us to, to be the character and the thing that he's called us to be and do. And what I want you to recognize today is that you were called, whether you've got it all or you found yourself in the gap, to be faithful one step at a time. Now, what I, what I don't want you to get out of this understanding of faithfulness is that uh, is faithfulness is an excuse to stay stuck. We have a tendency as the body of Christ sometimes to say we're being faithful when really we're being fearful. Meaning sometimes like, well, this is just what I'm supposed to do. I'm just called to do this. And if you ask yourself a second layer of questions, you can find out whether you're being faithful or fearful. You ask yourself, why? Why am I not willing to take that step? Why am I not doing that? Why am I not reaching out? Why am I not having the conversation I'm supposed to have? Why am I not taking the step? Is it because I know God has called me not to, or is it because I'm afraid the outcome won't be what I want? And once your motives are based on fear, they're not based on God. Once your motives are because you're afraid to take the step, you're afraid to have the conversation with a pastor about what you're wrestling with, you're afraid to have a conversation with your spouse about how it could be better, you're afraid to talk to your kids about what you're dreaming for them, you're afraid to talk about your debt and how to get out of it. Once you're afraid to do something, you're not being faithful to do the right thing. So don't use faithfulness as an excuse to stay stuck in the gap because what, what God is trying to do is to get your success as he processes your character. Because he wants to get you to the place where you have the influence you're called to have to reach the people. Because Joseph, because of his faithfulness, reached a whole nation and the whole world, changed the world because of his faithfulness. What will you change because of your faithfulness? One step at a time, one moment at a time, one faithful step. Despite the fear, what's that step? Despite the fear, what's the step? You might need to have a conversation with somebody about your spending and be honest, like I'm in debt up to my ears and it's, it's smothering me. You might need to have a conversation with somebody about your marriage and say, I need help. I don't know what to do. I've tried to talk to my spouse. They don't wanna listen. They don't wanna meet with anybody. I need help. You might need to have a conversation with somebody about your kids. Say they're going down the wrong road and I'm scared to even admit it. I'm scared to admit that they might be going down the wrong direction and I don't know even what to do. And your one single step might just be a simple phone call to somebody who you know that you can trust that will give you good advice. The one you're afraid to have, that, that hey, I, I'm, that one step might just be that conversation with someone who's overcome the same addiction you're going through but that you're afraid to admit. Oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not addicted. I can control this whenever I want to. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm functional, okay? I'm a functional person who drinks every once in a while to get by through the day at noon or 10 a.m. You know, whenever, whenever I need to. I, I just take these pills because they help me survive and get through. No, no, maybe it's time to stop being fearful and start being faithful and say, you know what, I got a problem. 
And I believe God is good and he'll see me through it one step at a time. For me, uh, the, the last time that I had to take the faithful step was it when COVID hit. Like again, a little bit resistant to do what I'm doing now. I kept resisting what God was trying to get us to do. And I've had this dream of what God was gonna do and what God was gonna do through the brick church. And I had a way that he should do it, right? On the cross, they thought God should do it this way. This is how God should do it, don't do it. And then when he didn't do it the way they wanted, they were confused. And for me, it was kind of similar. Like I had a way that God was gonna use the brick church and I loved the opportunity to develop people, pour into people and let Craig do the teaching. And then COVID hit. And we're like, I don't know, what do we do now? I mean, how are we going to connect to our community now? And, and there was nothing wrong with what we were doing before, but we realized the next faithful step was like, okay, we got we to be faithful now. For this weekend, what do we do? Here's how we connect to our community this weekend. And the next weekend, how do we connect to our community this weekend? And before you know it, it was like, okay, we can meet back in person, but we can't do it the way that we used to do it because we don't have enough life kids workers because we don't put them at risk. So we can separate families out. And then we can meet. And the most faithful thing we can do, we can shorten up our service and meet together. And before you know it, it was evident what God was calling us to do, the thing that we were really resistant to do and to get to the place where we're at today because of the faithful steps God may surprise you. He may do it bigger than you ever dreamed. He may do it different than you ever planned. But because he's good, he always does it right when you're faithful. My grandfather used to say it this way. He said, if, if your dream for yourself is, is small enough for you to do it on your own, it's too small to be God. Every single time, God has more for you than you can ever fathom. He's got more dreams for your marriage, for your kids, for your finances than you could ever fathom. The only question you have to ask yourself in the gap or in the good times is am I being faithful with the step he's called me to? That's all we can ever do, one step at a time. Scripture tells us that his word's a lamp unto our feet. I wish it was a beacon into the distance so we knew where we were going and how we were gonna get there. But for some reason, it's a lamp to our feet because we only get to see one step at a time because that's what faithfulness looks like. One step at a time, hearing what he said. Well, I, I gotta get closer. One step at a time. I can't hear you. Where are you at? I need to find you. I'm gonna take this step towards you. One step at a time. This is what you're calling me to do. I wanna take one step towards you. When you can't see, you take one step and the one step you can see, you don't get step 10. You don't even get step five. You just get the first step and he'll give you the next one. Let's pray. We are so excited that you had joined us for today's message. We hope that it impacted you, that God used it to get to you exactly what he needed to speak and that you're able to take the action steps he's called you to. If you're still here with us and you're looking for a way to give back to the Brick Church, to be a part of the community financially, you can start that giving in two ways. One way is through the website. It's thebrick.church slash giving. The second way is to set up a text giving account. You do that by texting the word BRICK to the phone number 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. Thank you for being a part of all that God is doing here at the BRICK Church.